This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Welcome to the show. Tonight, The Shadow. The radio program was originally simply a mysterious radio narrator who hosted a program designed to promote magazine sales for Street and Smith publications. Now, The Shadow was developed into a distinctive literary character later to become a pop culture icon by writer Walter B. Gibson in 1931. And the character's been cited as a major influence on the subsequent evolution of comic book superheroes, uh, particularly that of Batman. When listeners of the program began asking at newsstands for copies of that Shadow Detective magazine, Street and Smith decided to create a magazine based around the character. And because of the great effort involved in writing two full-length novels every month, several guest writers were hired to write occasional installments in order to lighten Gibson's workload. These guest writers included Lester Dent, who penned the Doc Savage stories. Tonight, a rather touching tale that's just perfect for the Christmas season. Let's hear the story of Joey's Christmas Story here on Zoomer Radio. gentlemen, as we near the start of the happy holiday season, the blue coal dealers of America wish you, the members of their vast unseen audience, the merriest Christmas ever. And they present as their special Christmas gift to you, a heartwarming yuletide adventure of the shadow. The shadow mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. As the shadow, Cranston is gifted with a hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, Joy's Christmas Story. <laughs> Was there any particular destination you was wanting me to drive you to, Mr. Cranston, hey? I'm looking for little Joey, the newsboy. Oh, well, if it's the paper you want, I could stop at any... No, no, we're looking for Joey, Treaty. We have a special date with him that we keep every Christmas season. Oh, you mean like a horrendous bull, huh? That's yeah. right, Treaty. Every year for the past three seasons, we've taken Joey on a tour of the toy sections of all the department stores. Oh, well, now, ain't that nice. You know... 
this time of year, I get wishing I was a kid again myself. Ain't that silly? No, of course not, Shrevey. We all feel that way. You know, my friend and acquaintance, Big Charlie, of whom you have heard me speak? Yes. Well, him and me used to have some fun at Christmas time when we was kids. That is, uh, till Big Charlie spoiled it. Well, how was that? Well, he got us banded from all the toy departments in the stores. Why? Oh, just on account of one pinchy little thing he used to do. Well, what was it? Giving Santa Claus a hot foot. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fine thing to do. <laughs> oh, look, Lamont. There's little Joy on the corner. Stop your cab, Shrevey, will you? Gosh, I thought maybe you wasn't coming. Well, how are you, Joey? I'm fine, thanks. Hello, Miss Lane. Hello, Joey. Are you all set for our little excursion, Joey? Well, I still have a couple of papers left. Oh, well, how many papers have you? Let's see. Two, four, six, six, seven, eleven. Eleven I got. Eleven, eh? Well, do you think five dollars would pay for them? Gosh, five bucks. Gee, Mr. Clinton, Hi, you shouldn't give me that much <laughs> Now, throw your papers away and we'll hop into the cab. Well, uh, would you, would you mind if I don't throw them away? Well, I mean, it's being almost Christmas and everything. Well, I like to give them away to some certain people who couldn't maybe afford to buy one. Why, sure. Go ahead, Joey. Gosh, thanks again, Mr. Cranston. Hey, Willie, here's a paper. Compliments to Joey. Oh, he's a swell kid. <laughs> Look at him. You'd think he was giving away a million dollars. That's just about what it is to him, too. Yeah, that, that, that kid is a regular character. I hope he saves a paper for me, Hank. Oh, Shrevey, I don't think you're on his charity list. <laughs> That's what I get for owning a cab. <laughs> ah, I got rid of more but one, Mr. Cranston. Well, good. Let's get into the cab. Okay. That's it. Well, why'd you save the one paper, Joey? Oh, that's me old friend, Hobo Sam. He gets a lot of good out of a paper. Really? How's that? Well, when he finishes reading it, he wears it inside his shirt to keep warm. And the evening record's the warmest paper in town. <laughs> <laughs> they should advertise that. As I said before, that kid's a character, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you tell us where Hobo Sam can be found, and we'll stop off there before we go to the store. It's down the street away. Hey, look, there's my pop. Hey, would you please go slow past this corner, Mr. Shrevey? Oh, sure thing, sure thing. Every little bit helps, thank you. Hiya, Pop! Hello, son. Pop, he's been here look nice, though. I bet you that he's the best-looking street corner standing close in the whole world. Joey, uh, how long has he been doing that job? Oh, ever since the holiday season started. He kind of needed a job, too. You see, he ain't been able to get much work the last couple of years. It's good that he's found something at Christmas time anyway, Joey. Yeah, that's what I told him. But the money he's been making on this job is going out for back rent and bills and things. It ain't really Christmas, money. Oh, so your prospects for Christmas are still none too bright. Well, Mr. Cranston, I ain't worried. Pop will find some way for us to have a good Christmas. You see, when he's worried like of anything, me and him take a walk down by the dock. We sit on the pier and watch the water going by. You know, Pop says that watching the water like that makes them all easy inside again. See, I like going down there with him. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, Joy. Well, I figured you'd probably... Hey, look! There's Hobo Sam! Hey, will you stop a minute, Mr. Shrevey? Yeah, totally sure, totally sure. Hey, Sam, wait a minute! I got something for you! Excuse me, please, I'll be right back. All right. I got a paper for you, Sam! Lots of ads in it, too! It's practically an overcoat! <laughs> oh, Lamont... I wish there was something that we could do for Joey's family as well as for him. We will, Margo. We will do something. But it can't be charity. They're much too proud to accept that. There must be some way to help, though. We'll find a way. Leave it to me. Okay, I'm, I'm ready, Mr. Casey. 
Well, how did Hobo Sam like the paper? Uh-huh. I say, was he glad to get the paper? Oh. Hobo Sam. Oh, oh, Hobo Sam, yes, yes. Well, what's the matter, Joey? You seem worried. Well, I... I just found out something from Hobo Sam. Oh, what? He just told me that the father of one of the kids I've run around with was on his way to a house on Water Street to murder a guy. What? A guy murdered? Did he say, hey? Did you get the address? Yeah, yeah, 18 Water Street. Well, we better notify the police at once. They ain't time for that, Mr. Cranston, but you could help. Uh, how? Well, you got a reputation as a gentleman detective, like, and you could do something about this yourself. Well, I... What is a guy being murdered, Mr. Cranston? Very well. Shrevy, 18 Water Street, and hurry. <laughs> You got the right address, Joey. This is just an old deserted warehouse. I know this is the right place, Miss Lane. A lot of the men come here to play cards and stuff. Well, we'll see what's in this room here. Come on. Come on. Look at this room. Yes. Furniture broken and strewn all over the room. Well, there's, there's been a fight here, all right. Yeah, this must be the place. This must be it. Look. Right there. Blood on the floor. Yes, I see it. No sign of a body, though. No sign of Oh, buddy. So. Joy, what are you doing? Oh, just making notes in my notebook. I like to keep a record of how a detective works. This room looks as if a dozen men had staged a brawl here. Looks nice, seven, eight. Any more notes, Joey? Uh, yes, sir. I can't make head or tail of this thing. Dozens of clues and no evidence. Come on, look here. Hey, what is it, Mother? Note, I found it on the floor. Hey, what does it say? Hurry to 19 West Street before another disaster occurs. Well, that's a mighty convenient message. They must have been expecting help. Come on. We're going to 19 West Street. Well, there's the number. 19 West Street. And I am attempted to add in a very unusual neighborhood this address is in. Yeah, it's just an old boarded-up tenement house. Well, let's have a look. How can we even get into the place? The doors are all barred. Yes. We may have trouble forcing an entrance. Hey, you think maybe the body's in the air, Mr. Cree? I never make predictions in a case like this, Joey. No predictions. Hey, how do you spell predictions, Mr. Cree? Oh, please, Joey. Forget your notebook for a moment, will you? Yeah, but it's all in a line of duty, Mr. Cree. Lamont, look up there by that window. There's a piece of paper tacked to it. Oh, yes. Uh, get it for me, will you, Joey? Yes, sir. Lamont, what is all this about? Margo, I haven't the slightest idea. Here you are, Mr. Cranston. It's a note, all right. All right, let me have it. Please come at once to 66 Broom Street. Urgent. Hey, that's my address. That's where I live. Hurry, will you hurry? Our spot is right on this floor. Oh, here's a sort of a storage place, like kind of an attic. Oh, I suppose we better look up there. What's Joey? What are you doing home so early? Oh, hello, Mom. I'm, uh, working on something. Oh, again, Look, Mom, please, please. Uh, this here is, uh, Miss Lane, Mr. Cranston. Oh, How do you do, Miss How do you do? Have you popped at home yet? Well, you know he has another hour to work in the corner. And what are you up to now, young man? He thinks there's a dead man up in the attic. A dead man? What? No, no, don't be alarmed, Mrs. McNally. It's, uh... Just a superstition. Well, whatever it is, I don't like it. Oh, don't you really think that there's a dead guy up there, Mr. Cranston? No, I don't think so, Joey. Yeah, but them notes and the blood and everything in the warehouse. What about them? 
Well, don't that mean somebody's dead? Not necessarily. But it says in all the detective stories. You read detective stories, do you, Joey? Well, sure, sure. I'm surprised at you, Mr. Cranston. I always thought that when the detective saw blood and everything... But I'm not even sure it was blood. It was so blood. How do you know? How do I know? Didn't I cut my own finger? Uh Aha, I suspected as much. Yeah, but wait wait a minute, what I meant to say was, well, I mean... You mean you staged this whole thing just for our benefit, didn't you? Well, I... uh... Joey, did you do that? Well, maybe I sort of did it that. What did you do? What are you up to now, young man? (laughs) Just a little game that Joey played on us, Mrs. McNulty, a game that sort of backfired. Oh, gee, and I thought I had it planned so good. You did, Joey. You just made one mistake. Only one? (laughs) What? Those notes were all in your own handwriting. The same handwriting you used in your notebook. What do you know? Am I a dope? <laughs> what was that? Joey, is this part of your game? No, no, honest. I don't know nothing about that. Well, we'd better have a look up here in this attic. Now, wait there, Margo. Hey, I'm coming with you. That's the door right ahead. Oh. Keith, Keith, Mr. Mindsey. Oh, he's been hit on the head. Hey, that's a nasty wound. Who is he, Joey? Well, Mr. Mike, he's sort of the rich guy here in the neighborhood. And he's the meanest and stingiest in school. Oh, I see. So what happened? What happened to you, sir? Uh, it's hit on the head. Well, who did it? Uh, I don't know. Blow came from behind. Hit me. Robbed me. Hey, look. Here's his pocketbook yeah. on the floor. Let me see it, Joey. Here. Well, there's still some money in it. Ten dollars. How much money did you have, Mr. Murphy? Seventy-five. Seventy-five dollars. Oh, that's strange. If it was robbery, why did your assailant leave you the ten dollars? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, he's pissed out again. Well, I wonder how the person who attacked him made his getaway. There are no windows in this room, and we were at the only door. Gosh, then it must have been... Oh. Huh? What were you going to say? Nothing. It must have been who, Joy? I didn't say nothing. Very well. You'd rather not tell me. You better get Mr. Murphy down to your apartment at once. Well, the wound isn't serious, but uh, it might not be wise to move him until a doctor has had a chance to look him over. I'll phone for Dr. Collins right away. Oh, thank you very much, Mr. McNulty. Thanks. Now, uh, Margot, if you could get me some hot oh, water, please. Oh, I didn't know you were home. Hey, Pat! I guess you were so busy cooking, you didn't hear me come in. Oh, no, Pop. I'd have seen you. Hey, Pop, come on in here. Hello, son. What's going on here? Mr. Murphy, he got hit and robbed. Oh, well, well no, that's too bad. Yeah, uh, these are friends of mine, Pop. Uh, Miss Lane and Mr. Clancy. How do you do, Miss McNulty? How do you do? Mighty glad to know you, folks. Well, I I think we better be getting along, Joey. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe you have. But uh, let's make a date now to go to the stores tomorrow afternoon, Joey. Oh, sure, sure, thanks. Goodbye, Joy. Miss McNulty. Oh. Bye. What do you suppose happened to that man, Mom? I'm not quite sure yet. There are several things that are obviously not on the up and up. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Well, first of all, why should the crook, whoever he was, leave $10 in the man's purse? Yes, I thought of that. And secondly, how did he make his escape from that loft? And why was little Joey so upset by it? He almost revealed something to me up there, and then he changed his mind. Why do you suppose Mr. McNulty acted so strangely? I'm just as curious about that as you are, Margot. I don't believe his story about coming into the house unnoticed. Tomorrow, Margot, 
we're going to stop at Mr. McNulty's corner and have a little talk with Santa Claus. Putting on the snow now. Good afternoon, Mr. McNulty. Oh, I I beg your pardon. I I thought that this was Mr. McNulty's corner. Well, it was till this morning. Well, what happened? I didn't show up, so I got his uniform and location. Well, uh, uh, where where is he? Do you know? He got me, Mister. Maybe he's up at the North Pole getting the reindeer ready for the big run. It's the pot boiling. stuff him for over the mantelpiece. Well, Lamont, what do you suppose has happened to him? I don't know. Something is wrong, though. I think that the shadow has a call to make at the McNulty flat. Now, let me see. Is that two cups of flour or one cup of flour? Oh, dear. such a sum of wealth, and he avoided the question. I see. All he could tell me was that this Christmas, Joey and I were going to have all the things he couldn't give us in the past. I understand, Mrs. McNulty. This morning, after he went to work, I I found this note from Tim, sitting on the kitchen table. What does the note say? It says that he was the one that robbed Mr. Murphy. Oh, my Tim done that. My poor did he explain why he did that? Oh, yes. If the money had been owed to him by Mr. Murphy for several years. He tried many times to collect it from him, but Mr. Murphy is, well, a kind of a stingy person, you see. So he chose that way of getting the money that was rightfully his. Yes, that was it. Oh, but he knew he'd done wrong in doing it that way. Tim knows that now. He knows that he'd acted in desperation just for me and little Joey. This was the only reason. I believe that. It couldn't have been anything else. No, he's ashamed. He's ashamed most of all because little Joey knows he's done it. You see, there's, there's a back stairway from our flat to the attic, and Joey knows that. And he knew that his pop had used those stairs. Where do you think your husband's gone? Oh, if I only knew. That isn't my only worry. Well, what do you mean? 
I'm afraid little Joey's gone too. Why? He said he'd be home by two o'clock and it's almost six now and no sign of him. And about an hour ago, one of his little friends come by to find out where he was. He told me that Joey hadn't been on his corner all day. Now, Mrs. McNaughton, don't worry. Please. <laughs> I give you my word. They'll return. And everything, everything will turn out all right. <laughs> What did you find out, Lamont? Joey's father was the one who robbed the man, all right. Oh, Lamont. Now both he and little Joey have disappeared. Oh, how awful. Oh, it's not that bad, Margot. I think I can find them on the docks at Water Street. Why'd you have to do that to Mr. Murphy? I... I don't know, son. Golly, we didn't need the money that day. Oh, uh, Joey, can't you understand... This year, I wanted you and your mother to have all the things they couldn't give you in the past. I've been a failure, Joey. A failure. Oh, that ain't no way to talk. You've been a swell, Pop. Whatever you've done, you've done better than anybody in the whole world. Even Santa Claus is. You're the best Santa I ever seen. Better even than the real one. Ah, that's nice to hear, Joey, but can't so. Pop, I don't know what's got into you. Don't you remember all the things you told me when we'd been down here by the river before? About courage and hope and the future? And all the things you told me I should look for. That was for you, Joey. Not for me. Yeah, but I'm part of you, Pop. Whatever you are, that's what I am. And Mom feels the same way. We're all together. All for each other, honest. Joey is right, Mr. McNulty. Who was that? Who spoke? I did. Who are you? Men call me the Shadow. The Shadow? Holy smoke, it's the Shadow, Pop. You heard of him, the invisible guy. Yes, Shadow. If you've heard of me, then you both know that I'm here to help you. Did you hear that, Pop? The Shadow's going to help us. Yes, but, but how? I know of the trouble that you're in, Mr. McNulty. I know what you did to Mr. Murphy. Oh, he wasn't to blame for that, honest, Mr. Shadow. Yes, I was. I was, Joey. But Mr. Murphy was a mean old man. He had plenty of dope. And he owed Pop that money for years and years and never paid it to him. That's why Pop done what he's done. I know. I realize that, Joey. Well, what I did was wrong, Joey. And I must pay for it. I'm going to tell my story to the police. Oh, no, no. I don't think that will be necessary, Mr. McNulty. There's another way. A better way. Well, what is it? I want you and young Joey to go to Mr. Murphy's house. Tell him what you've done. Oh, he'd send Pop to jail for life. Wait, now do as I say, please. I'll be there with you. I believe if you explain your reasons to him, honestly and sincerely, tell him why you did what you did to him, even as hard a man as Mr. Murphy will listen to reason on this night of nights, Christmas Eve. I know it. I had a feeling that you'd done this to me from the very beginning, McNulty. But I've come to ask your forgiveness, Mr. Murphy. Yeah. I've come here to ask you to understand why I did it. You robbed me. That was all. That's why you did it. But it was really Pop's money. Makes no difference. Turn you over to the police. We'll tell them it was Pop's money, too. Yeah, I'll never believe you. I'm the only one who knows about the debt. Remember that. <laughs> That's where you're wrong, Mr. Murphy. You aren't the only one. Huh? Who's that? Oh, boy, the shadow... He's here just like he said he'd be. Now, where are you? I can't see anyone. I shall remain quite invisible to your eyes, Mr. Murphy. But you're going to hear me, 
And you're going to do as I say. I, I don't understand this. I know all about this episode of the stolen money. And I realize that Mr. McNulty was wrong in what he did. But his reason for doing it is one that I shall always admire. What do you mean? Mr. McNulty has a family. A fine family, a wife and son. He loves them both very dearly. Things have not gone too well for that family for a long, long time. You wouldn't know what that means, Mr. Murphy. You can't realize how a man feels when he wants to give everything to his loved ones and he has nothing to give. No, that doesn't justify it. Wait, let me finish. Wait. He never bothered you for that money you owed him, although many times he needed it very much. Then Christmas time approached. He asked you for the money and you refused. That $65 meant the difference between happiness and despair to his wife and son. And what he did to you, he did for them. I see. Do you know what Christmas really means, Mr. Murphy? It's a time of forgiveness, of man's goodwill to man. You must know that feeling. You must show it by letting bygones be bygones between you and the McNulty's. I, I see what you mean. I want whatever has stood between you to be forgotten. Tonight, that young boy is singing in the choir at the cathedral. I want you to join him and his family. Go with them to the church. Open your heart and your hand in forgiveness to them and all mankind. Covering the city with a blanket of white. That's almost like poetry, Pop. Yes, Joey. Poetry. Shall we walk home, Mr. Murphy? Uh, yes. I'd like to very much. Come on, Mother. Of course, kid. Golly, ain't that swell away Pop and Mom and Mr. Murphy are friends and everything? Well, Joey, that's the spirit of Christmas. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Oh, Mr. Clancy, that's your right. I gotta make a note of that in my notebook. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. The characters' names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Next week, same time, same station, the Blue Coal Dealers of America bring you an adventure of the shadow chock full of thrills and dynamic dramatic action. So be sure to listen. And be sure to phone your friendly blue coal dealer for greater heating comfort at less cost. We wish you a very Merry Christmas on behalf of our entire cast.
Stay tuned for Gunsmoke with Marshal Matt Dillon and its pal Chester up next. You're listening to Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Time for Gunsmoke. The stories take place in and around Dodge City, Kansas, during the settlement of the American West. And the main character, Marshal Matt Dillon, is played by William Conrad. And James Arneson, you might remember, had that role on television. The radio series ran from 1952 to 1961. The episode tonight, Never Pester Chester. (laughs) Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers. That's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon. United States Marshal. Sure is hot today, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Used to get hotter in Sweetwater, though. Uh, Texas? Yes, sir. Yeah, but I wasn't there very long. No. <laughs> what'd you do there, Chester? Oh, I was a salesman, Mr. Dillon. Salesman? <laughs> Well, what'd you sell? Lightning rods. Lightning? Oh. Well, now, they're good things to have, Mr. Dillon. Why, I had a line of lightning rods. Why, now, don't explain it to me, Chester. (laughs) Too hot. Well, I'll go get us some beer. Maybe that'll help. I don't think I want any beer, Chester. Well, then, why don't you just go take a CS, Mr. Dillon? I'll stay here in the office. (laughs) Why don't you just leave me alone? All right, Mr. Dillon. Marshal. Yeah, what do you want, Doc? A couple of cowboys been feeding their liquor over at the Texas Trail. That's what saloons are for, isn't it? Yeah, they were giving Kitty a bad time. Oh? She got rid of them now, but they're down at the end of Front Street now, making remarks and pestering the town ladies. It just might lead to trouble. Well, I'm not going to walk down there in this heat just to lecture a couple of hard-nosed cowboys. I'll go, Mr. Dillon. Oh, good, Chester. You go, huh? Just tell them to take it easy and leave the ladies alone. Yes, sir, I will, Mr. Dillon. Hey, lady, you ever been to Texas? Real men down there. Not like these short grass Kansas. (laughs) All right, boys. Now, that's enough. Who's this? A preacher, maybe. <laughs> Boys, Marshal Dillon sent me down here. And we're going to send you right back, fella. Mr. Dillon said you can have all the fun you like, but to leave the ladies alone. That's all dang trouble, these Dodge ladies. They've been left alone too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what they need is a couple of big-handed Texas men. <laughs> yeah. Look, now, now, why don't you go over there to the Alpha Ganza? I'll buy you both a beer. You will, huh? 
Well, that's mighty thoughty of you, mister. We just don't want any trouble, that's all. Sure we don't. And I got an idea how we won't have any. Where till I get on my horse here? Stay with our friend a minute, Trevor. Hey, mister, I'll make a bet. What kind of bet? What do you mean? Any kind. You name it. Come on. Well, but I don't... I got him! He spilled his gun, Trevor. Pick it up and grab your horse. Get this rope off of me. Maybe you will wear off, mister. You're going for a ride. Drag him! Tobo, drag him! Let's go! Chester, Marshal. What? What? Who got Chester? Couple of cowboys. The ropesmen dragged him out of town. Come on. Well, well, which way? West. I'm going with you. Hurry. Uh, Come on. There they are, but they're not dragging anything. They must have cut him loose. There he is, but that's safe, Brusher. Chester. Chester. Get that rope off his feet, Shadow. Look at him. He's bleeding all over. They tore him to ribbons. I'll stay with him, Marshal, if you like. No, Shiloh. We'll get our horses up. I'll we'll get him back to the dock right away. All right, Marshal. So, Chester, I got you now. We'll be at the dock soon. Easy, Chester. Easy, fella. Easy now. I'll uh, carry him when you get tired, Marshal. I won't get tired, Shiloh. Not for a long time. Well, Doc? Yeah, he's in bad shape, Marshal. The worst is something's bothering his breathing. I don't know what it is. We'll just have to wait and see if it goes away. If he lives the next few days, he'll pull through. Oh, Doc. I know, I know, I know. But I'll stay right here with him. Why did I have to send him? Why didn't I go? Oh, and I don't blame yourself, I Marshall. told him to go, didn't I? Yes, but... Uh, Doc, can I talk to him? No, no, Marshall, no. Not for a while. All right, then. Would, would you tell him this for me? But going after those men, I'm going to bring them back. Alive. Or at least half alive. In the street outside, waves of heat move back and forth, making things seem unreal. Like Chester lying up there at docks. That seemed unreal somehow. I walked down to the jail and I went inside and I sat there for a while. And then all at once I got up and unbuckled my guns and I hung them on a peg behind the desk. 
And I went over to the Texas Trail. I'm over here, Matt. Sit down. Matt, I heard about Chester. How is he? Doc doesn't know for sure. Oh. They were in here bothering you. Who were they, Kitty? I never saw them before. One was a kind of weasel-faced man named Trevitt. And the other? Big man. Real brute. Named Stobo, I think. I see. What outfit, they say? Would it be the crow track? Yeah. The crow track's holding my herd up the river. Thank you, Kitty. Wait a minute, Matt. Yeah? It's no business of mine to ask, but where are your guns? It would have been easier for Chester if they'd have shot him and killed him. But I don't see... So I'm not going to shoot them. If Chester dies, I'll see him hanged. Otherwise... Otherwise what, Matt? I don't know. But I'm going to bring him back and... And we'll wait and see. You're taking an awful chance. Maybe. Oh, Matt. Please be careful. Sure. Uh, kidding? Yeah, ma'am. Look in on Chester once in a while, will you, maybe? Oh, of course I will. Don't worry about him. Thank you, Kitty. So long. Yeah, Marshal. What is it, Shiloh? I'll walk outside with you. Marshal, I want to ride after those cowboys with you. No, Shiloh, I'm going alone. But we could use you here at the jail. Here? I'm going to take two prisoners. I don't know when or how, but I need a jailer when they come in. So I'll bring them in with you, and then I'll... No. That's something I have to do alone. Marshal, you're a stubborn man. But okay, I'll do it. Keys are in my desk. Now, here's my horse. I'm going now. Yeah, wait a minute, Marshal. You're not armed. I know it, Shallow. Goodbye. Who's the trail boss here? Where is he? Here I am, and I don't need any riders. Maybe not, but you got two riders I need. How's that? Just what do you want, mister? That's the crow track outfit, isn't it? That's right. I'm looking for a couple of your men called Stobo and Trevitt. They ain't here, mister. Now, where are they? They come back this afternoon, picked up the gatherings, and left. Didn't even wait to get paid off. I'm telling you, this is just because they're no good, and I'm glad they're gone. Which way'd they go? I wouldn't tell you if I knew, mister. I didn't think you would. Who are you, anyway? I'm a U.S. Marshal on the Dodge. That's so? <laughs> well, I don't know what you want them for, and I don't care, but... How you going to take them, Marshal? Put salt on her tail? <laughs> <laughs> you ought to at least take a club if you're going after that Stobo. He's mean, he's big. 
Besides being a Texan. (laughs) We've hung Texans up here before, mister. Marshal. Yeah. I heard Stobo and Trevitt say they were heading west, following the Arkansas. Where are you from, son? Texas, near Waco. And what are you sniveling around and forming on these men for? That Stobo kicked me. Knocked me down and kicked me. All right, son, I'll ride along the Arkansas. But you ride back to Texas and learn how to fight your own battles. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, the conventions start next Monday when the Republican Party takes over Chicago. CBS Radio's greatest reporting names and a core of technical experts manning mobile units and studios covering the convention floor and corridors are all set to bring you history as never before. Whatever happens, wherever it happens, you'll miss nothing when you tune in the conventions on CBS Radio starting next Monday. Now... The second act of Gunsmoke. I cut straight down to the Arkansas and followed it west. I rode close to the water where I could use the sound of it for only my cover. After an hour or two, I spotted a hobbled horse alone. Stobo and Trebek must have separated I got down and followed the animal's tracks as best I could in the moonlight until I caught the dying coals of a campfire on the bank ahead. To one side, I could make out the huddled figure of a man asleep in his blanket. It took a long time to crawl to his head where I saw the weasel face of a man trepid. His gun belt lay on a saddle blanket in easy reach. I stood up and heaved it out to the river. And as Trevitt sat up with a snap, I kicked him back. No! Don't shoot! Don't shoot! You sit up again and I'll smash your skull, Trevitt. Don't kill me! Don't kill me! Shut up. Now, where's your rope? I told you to lie down. Now, where's your rope? Under my saddle there. You gonna lynch me? No. But you may hang legally if you live that long. Now, keep your arms in that blanket and lie still. While I get you roped up here. Who are you, mister? That'll do it. Let's just say I'm a good friend of a man you dragged out of Dodge this morning. Stobo was in on that, too. It was his idea. He did it. Don't worry. I'll find Stobo. You ain't gonna leave me like this? I'll be back. You ain't even carrying a gun. Too bad for you, I'm not. Now, Trevin, I'm going to throw you across my horse and tie you on. He'll take you into Dodge right to the jail. When you get there, tell Shiloh who you are if you can still talk. He'll give you a nice, clean cell. You're the marshal. I'll be back when I find Stobo. You can't do it, marshal. I'll die on that, son. Ride like that across a horse. No, no, listen. 
Stobo's about a mile upriver. We had a row and I left him. See, I, I told you, Marshal. Let me go now. Trevor, how would you like to go to Dodge behind my horse with a rope around you? No, 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 don't, no, 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 Marshal. Don't kill me. I'll pack you on now. I tied Trevor across my horse and started him off in the direction of Dodge, and then I forgot about him. Stobo was next. I rode west on Trevor's horse. Dawn was just breaking when I saw him. Crouched behind a campfire. Cooking breakfast. His horse was saddled and stood nearby. I rode straight up, got down, and walked over. You lost, stranger? No. I'm not lost. Elbow. No tricks, mister. I don't see your gun, but no tricks. Relax, Stobo. I'm unarmed. Who are you? Matt Dillon. I'm U.S. Marshal. Out of Dodge. You're a long way from Dodge, Marshal. Stobo, you and your pal had some fun with a friend of mine yesterday. You hurt him bad. Maybe you killed him. <laughs> you rode out here without a gun to tell me that? You're the craziest marshal I ever saw. <laughs> I'm going to shoot you, marshal, and bury you in the river. What do you think of that? I expected you would. Huh? But unless you want it on your conscience that you refuse to feed a man on the trail, you better give me a piece of that pork first. You're about the coolest man I ever saw, marshal. Do I eat? <laughs> sure you do. Sure. You just stand right there across the fire and don't move. I have to shoot you before you've been fed. I know. It's too bad I only got one dish for your last meal, Marshal. A man can keep sassy on meat alone, Stobo. <laughs> yeah, he sure can. Well, looks about done. At least this here piece says you can't... <laughs> All right, I got your gun, Sobo, so don't try anything. You burn me! You burn me! Just a few coals, they won't hurt you. Now shut up and get on your horse. Oh! Kill you for this, Marshal! You can't hurt me like that! On your horse! Come on now! Get up there! Now you just sit there, Sobo. I'm gonna throw a noose around your neck, so keep your hands down. There now. Now you ride toward Dodge. And you do anything I don't like, and I'll jerk you off your horse and drag you the rest of the way. No ride. Jail's on the left. You see it? I see it. All right, pull up. Shiloh! Shiloh! Well, hello, Marshal. This other one? Yeah. Trevor, get here. More dead than alive, but he's here. It was rough, Marshal. Real rough. Yeah. Shiloh, how about Chester? Tell me. 
Doc ain't sure yet, but he's alive. Lock Stovo up. I'm going over to Doc's. All right, you get down. Walk straight or I'll shoot you through both knees. Chester was asleep, but the doc let me take a look at him. Seemed to me he had more trouble breathing than before. But the doc said another day might see him out of it. And there was nothing I could do. So I went up for a steak and some sleep. And the next morning I went back to the jail. Warren, Marshal. Everything all right, Shiloh? Doc looked over your prisoners. Trevor's pretty sick yet, but Stobo's all right. Got a few burns is all. Nothing could hurt that, Moose. A hanging might. Sure, but what if Chester pulls through? You can't hold us in, Marshal. There's no law that says... I don't you. like the sound of your voice, Trevor. But you can't Be hold quiet. Don't worry, Trevor. There's nothing he can... You too, Stobo! Shut the door, Shiloh. I don't even want to look at him. I feel kind of sorry for Trevor. And go cry about it someplace else. I don't feel sorry. Don't you take it out on me, Marshal. I didn't send Chester off to do my job. I, uh... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm sorry. Go get some breakfast, Shiloh. I'll, I'll, I'll wait here now. Uh, I'll be back later. <laughs> Doc? What? Well, what is the doc coming? <laughs> Chester. He's going to be all right. <laughs> you sure? Well, of course, Marshal. His breathing suddenly changed. The pressure's off somewhere. Oh, he's going to be fine. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> of course, he'll be in some pain for a while yet. But... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, Doc, I'll, I'll come see him in a little while. I'll tell him for you, Mike. All right, come on, Trevin. Where to? Come on, I said. What's up, Marshal? I'll be back for you, Stobel. I'll get going. Come on. <laughs> Stobo did it. Not me. You, you can't do anything to Shut me. Shut up. Trevor, your horse is down at the National. Go get on it. You turning me loose? Get your horse and ride and don't ever come back to Dodge. Not while I'm alive. Now go on before I change my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure. Sure, I'll go. you do with Trevor? Put a knife in him? I turned him loose. Now, come on, get out of that cell. Am I free, too? You will be in a little while. So, the doc, Marshal Chester's... Hey, uh, where are you going with Stobo? Well, he'll shoot me in the back, probably. That right, Marshal? I'm going to do what I should have done three days ago when I sent Chester after you. Bring him outside, Shiloh. Let's go, Stobo. Slow and easy. Bring him over here, Shiloh. 
You're going to drag me, is that it? You try that. That's what not... you do, isn't it, Stobo? Don't try. Never mind. Charlie, hold my guns. Here. What the? <laughs> oh, I get it. You're going to fight me. Well, Marshal, you're crazier than I thought. Why, I'll tear your throat out. If he wins, let him go, Shiloh. Maybe I will. I said you'll let him go. All right, Marshal, all right. Maybe you're crazy, but I guess this is your party. Come on, Marshal. <laughs> I'll make it short for you. Real short. Stand back, everybody. Get back, do you hear? You're big, Stobo. But you're stupid. You're ugly stupid. Why, you... I'll kill you! Give me my guns, Shallow. Here. You don't look too good, Marshal. I'd better get that doc. He's hurt, but he isn't dead. If he can't ride, throw him on a stage. We get him out of here. If I see him again, I'll shoot him. Chester, can, can I come in? Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. My, what happened to you? <laughs> I've been lecturing a couple of hard-nosed cowboys. One in particular. Oh, I, I see. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Dillon. Those two sort of got the drop on me. Yeah, it sure did. Mr. Dillon? Yeah. I've been thinking, and, and, uh, yeah, what is it, Chester? Well, Mr. Dillon, I, I, I'm not much help to you here. Maybe I better just... That's enough, Chester. Well, but I, I've been thinking Well, that... just stop thinking. Yes, sir. Now, look, Chester, I'm going to tell you something. I, uh, I, I need you here. You see, you're the only man in Dodge I can really trust. The only one. Yes, sir. Well, you you can trust me, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I, I, I know. And I'm thanking you, Chester. <laughs> but you, you're sure no help to me lying there, you know. No help at all. Well, I, I don't even stay here long. The doc says I'll be up and around again... Look, uh, Chester, I, I, I tell you what, I, I'll go get patched up and then we'll make Kitty come over and fix us some steaks and we'll, we'll have some beer too, huh? Well, what do you say? I, that'd be fine, Mr. Dillon. My, I'd sure like that.
Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in tonight's cast were Paul Dubov, Lou Krugman, and Georgia Ellis, with Don Diamond, Gil Stratton, and Jack Crucian. Parley Bear is Chester, and Howard McNear is Doc. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. This delightfully funny little secretary is heard from every Sunday evening here on CBS Radio. Audrey Totter stars as Millie, a gal with a one-track mind on the subjects of love and marriage, especially where the boss's son is concerned. Remember, you can now meet Millie every Sunday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, tune in history starting next Monday. Hear the Republican Convention on the CBS Radio Network. Thanks for listening tonight, and in fact, all this week. I'd love to hear from you if you have a favorite show that I might be able to track down for you. Just drop me a note at f.proctor at mzmedia.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.